am especially happy uh, to talk with you all about a subject that I think uh, uh, is just now being admitted by so many people. Uh, I, I remember when I was a young Christian here in the U.S. and uh, people just didn't talk about their doubts. If they did, they talked about it as something from the past. Um, but uh, I think now more and more people are, are saying, no, this is part of life and this is part of faith. And my doubts won't hurt me as much as keeping my doubts a secret or being afraid to admit my doubts will hurt me or pretending that I don't have doubts will hurt me. And so um, uh, I'd like to uh, talk about faith, uh, faith after doubt. Hello, my name is Travis Loverin, and um, I have the opportunity and uh, the pleasure of covering chapters 8 through 10 in this fantastic book, uh, Faith After Doubt, Brian McLaren, uh, which gives a lot of language for um, experiences that many of us have had and different terminology for stages of faith. And I, uh, myself and others have found the book very helpful. So. I will open in prayer, give a little background on myself after that, and then we'll dive into the chapters. So with that, God, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you that your presence is with us and you're uh, meeting us exactly where we are. Thank you for always inviting us um, towards love and towards harmony, towards peace, and we thank you for that. And we pray a blessing over this time in Jesus' name. All right, so brief background on myself. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, I do, my name is Travis Leverin and um, I have led the Connect group for a while now and I know others have helped out and uh, led at other times when we weren't able to, And but we definitely enjoy uh, having and building that community of people that we can grow spiritually together with. And uh, we've gone through a lot of different books together and learned a lot together. So anyway, we've definitely enjoyed our time. And I originally found The Well, uh, probably from one of those targeted social media ads <laughs> that uh, said Jared Bias would be one of the guest speakers um, right shortly after the church publicly launched a few years ago. And at the time I was reading a lot of books, a lot of resources, um, listening to different podcasts. And one of those podcasts was The Bible for Normal People by Peter Enns and Jared Bias. So I figured any church that's willing to host, uh, you know, one of them has got to be good. So I uh, came, checked it out, and found a great community that uh, we're enjoying being a part of, as I said. So before we go into a lot of the, the meat of chapters 8 through 10, um, I want to also give some context for the previous stages of faith that we've talked about in the book, the stages one, two, and three. And I know I'll be getting a lot more into stage four today and um, some of the topic of doubt as love, which I'm looking forward to. But it makes a lot more sense in context with the other stages as the, the developmental um, element of, of seeing the progression. So I'll give a nice overview of the previous, um, previous stages as well as a little bit of my journey in each of those stages. And so with that, stage one is dualism. 
So dualism is uh, really the common traits are that we categorize everything in simple buckets. It's good, bad, us, them, in, out. Certainty is very important. Doubt is a failure or a betrayal. And the mindset is don't ask questions, just obey. <laughs> so that is really the common traits of stage one dualism. And a lot of us start there, and actually everyone starts there. And as a parent, you can see the importance of some stage one traits. Like for example, uh, if I tell my kids that, hey, don't run out in the street or don't play with uh, you know, venomous snakes or something like that, I expect stage one obedience without questioning. Just a, hey, they said don't run out into the street um, or, or stop or whatever the case may be. And they, I expect that they should listen. And so that is part of stage one growing and learning and development. And everyone has that, everyone goes through that, but it's very much the, the big people, uh, the authorities know what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. And we just have to trust them. A lot of people don't necessarily grow out of that and they're very stuck in that life is a war mentality. We're the good guys, they're the bad guys. Everything is in, out, us, them. Um, we're right, everyone else is wrong. And that is, whether in religion or other groups, politics, anything, um, stage one is very, very prevalent. Some strengths of stage one, because it's not just a you know, stage four is great and everything else is bad, everything builds on each other. There are good elements to stage one, to stage two, to stage three, um, but we don't wanna be stuck somewhere for the rest of our lives either. So the, some of the strengths of stage one is that they're highly committed, uh, they're willing to sacrifice as well, and they're passionate. They're passionate about what, um, what they believe in. So as we go through um, some of the different stages, we, it's important to realize that A, we can bounce around and they all have their weaknesses. Um, we, we need to cope with life and sometimes, you know, we might visit somewhere as a, a temporary state. I might experience, you know, stage four harmony as a temporary state or um, maybe while being in a stage two or three as a more permanent basis, or we can move in and out, it's iterative. Um, but we have to have self-compassion as well for ourselves and where we've been. I know sometimes uh, we can look back and see our earlier younger selves and almost be uh, a little embarrassed about the things we said or did or believed in. And um, I think we all need some self-compassion because we're all growing, we're all learning. And part of the journey is that those items uh, help get you to where you are today and we we need self-compassion and we need um, uh, empathy for other people for whatever stage they're in right now and so as we grow um, we take the best and the good things of each stage and we bring it into our, our uh, the next stage that we are in spiritually so one example in a practical way is my son riding a bike for a while he was on a push bike, which is basically just walking and learning how to balance. There's no pedals. Uh, and then to a training wheel bike and then no training wheels. And you know, it's not that 
the training wheels are inherently bad or wrong or anything like that. It's part of the journey, part of the process. Granted, he doesn't need to go back to that stage, but um, there's nothing bad about being where he was at the present time. And he doesn't need to look down on his siblings, right? Now that he can re ride a normal bike, he doesn't need to look down on his siblings because they can't. It's just everyone is in their own journey and that's okay. So did want to make sure we could talk about that. Also, it isn't a ladder of pride where we're trying to achieve, let's you know, get up to stage four and the highest level of spirituality so we can look down on others who are less spiritual than us. And um, that's honestly gross, <laughs> that's bad. That's what the Pharisees did in Jesus's day and Jesus uh, did not like it. He rebuked them pretty sternly <laughs> that uh, we should not, um, not look down on anyone with self-righteousness and arrogance. So it's not that stage four we've arrived and looked down on everyone. We wanna see it more as tree rings where each tree ring, each stage of life like a tree is a different season that builds on everything uh, before it. It includes and transcends it. And, um, and so with this book, it just gives a little bit of language for the complexities of, of uh, life, which is, you know, we're all going through our own, our own journey and this helps give some language to it. So for my stage one, that was a lot of growing up um, all the way through, um, you know, all the way up through probably halfway into high school. I was very much into stage one, good, bad, black, black white, um, you know, no shades of gray in between. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, you know, we were the in crowd and had to convert other people so that they could go to heaven someday. And, you know, very much um, bought into that mindset of uh, that, that um, yeah, everyone else is going to hell and, and we're the, the small sliver of people who, who made it. And so I, I need to do my part and convince everyone else to think like me. And, um, and so that was the mindset of stage one. And a lot of people I'm sure can relate with maybe that background. And if your background is different than mine, that is okay. We all have our own journey. So, and if your conclusions are different than mine, that's okay too. You don't have to agree with me on everything, so. Stage two is complexity, where we build on the dualism and we realize that there's a lot more to life than just the black and white. There's a lot of stages in between people moving in, people moving out of different groups. Uh, and stage two wants to be your own person. It's uh, learning how to think for yourselves. It's, um, it's solving problems. It's about achieving, it's about success. And a lot of times doubt is seen as a problem that just needs to be fixed. And so if uh, some strengths in stage two are enthusiasm, eagerness to learn, idealism, action. And my stage two really was halfway through high school through um, probably mid twenties is where I really started to get um, more into stage three. But I had uh, experienced some things that rocked my world a little bit that got me out of stage one into stage two and got me um, really seeking more, reading a lot of books. I was in more of the charismatic stream. So I had read everything. I did uh, attended lots of conferences and learned what I could in that stage. And, um, and it was good. I, I definitely enjoyed and, and learned a lot during that time and felt like I had a newfound freedom where 
I could see things with more, a little more complexity than just stage one. But then as I continued reading <laughs> and working hard and everything else, uh, there were some things that just didn't quite sit right. And in, I think it was around 2013, uh, I had read a book that just helped me um, ask the questions that maybe I had stuffed down uh, subconsciously and not really thought about too much. And it gave me permission to doubt, gave me permission to ask questions. And so with that, for me, um, everyone is different. Some people, their, their deconstruction into stage three, which is perplexity, um, sometimes it could be a number of topics. It could be how people treat LGBTQ community. It could be a literal six-day creation and science. It could be um, the, you know, what do we do with um, errors in the Bible or things that disagree with each other and discrepancies, uh, which there are in the Bible if, if you look. <laughs> um, so what do you do with, with the errors um, and inerrancy, that whole view of the Bible that honestly wasn't around that view of the Bible. That's a side note until more recent history. But uh, maybe it was uh, the concept of hell, where you were just told you have to believe that billions of people are going to suffer in hell, and that's what you have to believe to be a Christian, or, um, or you know, any number of topics can start the almost pulling on a thread into that stage three, where it does feel like a deconstruction or like a, um, you're, you're uh, questioning um, things that maybe should be questioned where, <laughs> um, and looking at underlying assumptions and motivations and um, seeing a layer deeper, should we say. So for, for me, it was a lot on the topic of hell and atonement theory. So uh, the, I, <laughs> I grew up being taught that God is good and God is love, as many of us have been. But there comes a point where it didn't logically make sense to me that if we believe in a God of love, then how can he intentionally send billions of people there uh, to hell to be tortured forever in this fiery furnace with no hope of escape? And as a father, I can see I would never, ever send my kids intentionally to, um, you know, to, to harm for even 10 seconds, let alone uh, a year or 10,000 years or a million years or billion years or eternity. That just doesn't even, I can't even fathom. Um, and Jesus says uh, that if you, <laughs> if you, uh, you know, being evil know how to give good gifts, um, how much more your, your heavenly father, who's an even better father, basically, than any earthly father, paraphrased. So if God is better than I am, then, and more good, and I wouldn't even dream of doing something like that, then something, something doesn't add up <laughs> with our, our version of hell that has been, um, has been propped up in American Christianity. So obviously I, I dove into that topic and many others. And, and um, another one was the concept of atonement theory. And that was another one that to me just didn't make sense that do we really have to, um, did God require a blood appeasement just to be able to, to love his kids and accept them? 
but only if we pray a certain prayer. This feels like a lot of conditional love, conditional acceptance, um, you know, that God couldn't just forgive because he's loving. He had to have some sort of blood payments, and it felt very paganistic, um, like the, the pagan religions of old, when you look at um, history. And come to find out, you look into atonement theories, and the penal substitutionary atonement theory, uh, not to get too in the theological weeds, that wasn't even around until more like uh, John Calvin's era. And so all, all the early church, they they didn't believe that at all. And so I, I began to peel back the maybe the layers of the onion or kept pulling at the, the thread until it felt like things started unraveling. And that's stage three. And there are um, honestly a lot of unhelpful things that need to be unwound and that need to be um, questioned because they don't bear good fruit. So the stages or the common traits of stage three often specializes in critique and deconstruction and often sees past the surface layer into deeper, more systemic um, issues, motivations, things like that. And it's often keenly aware of injustices or oppression or hypocrisy. But sometimes people get stuck in suspicion or, or cynicism. <laughs> and if you're looking for problems, you're going to find them. So we have to be careful not to maybe camp out there too long, because that may, may not be the healthiest either. So um, moving into uh, doubt as love, stage four. So one fantastic quote that I really enjoyed is there's a difference between doubting God and doubting my understanding of God, just as there's a difference between trusting God and trusting my understanding of God. Would I be able to doubt my understanding of God while simultaneously trusting the God beyond my understanding? I thought that phrased it super, super well and enjoyed it. And if you've read other authors or books, um, people have different terminology for moving into like a stage four harmony. So Brian McLaren calls it harmony. Uh, other authors, maybe like Richard Rohr, uh, talk it about the second half of life, about the first half being really stage one, stage two, where you're almost like building the container. And then there's the transition that usually comes with pain or, um, or a lot of pain, a lot of love uh, in that stage three um, uh, moving into stage four. So Richard Rohr just has different terminology, as do so many other people who have written about the topic. But one other quote that I really liked that I want to read is, um, is this. There is indeed a kind of dying involved with passing through perplexity, stage three, into harmony, stage four. You might call it a death to ego or pride, as we relinquish our right to judge, to know, and to control. You might call it a death to privilege, superiority, supremacy, as we realize that all of us ultimately share in the human condition. I thought that was so good. So some common traits of stage four harmony is that you're able to show up as a human being without labels, without uh, judgments, agenda, or suspicion, just respect and love and you start to realize the interconnectedness of all things and that all of life is beautiful and sacred. Um, and as, as Richard Rohr says, everything belongs. 
It's a journey into revolutionary love that extends to all. Um, just as God, uh, Jesus says that God makes the rain fall on the righteous and the wicked. And so it's, uh, God does good to all regardless. And that's really what this stage four harmony um, is about is, is uh, moving into that perspective where we, we love the outsider, we love the enemy, we love um, the neighbor uh, who doesn't necessarily, you know, um, maybe have the same beliefs as us or, um, you know, it's, 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 um, it's just so far beyond a, um, just a surface shallow love that, you know, it's easy. Jesus says it's easy to love your friends, but, um, you know, pray for those who persecute you and, uh, love the stranger, the outsider and so forth. That's a lot harder to do. And of course we need boundary, healthy boundaries, things like that, where you don't just have people walk all over you. That's a whole different topic for a different time. But, but we do want to see from that perspective of harmony, love, and um, especially to those who are harder to love. <laughs> so, and it's not all or nothing either. So, like I said, we can bounce around to different stages at any point in time, but we want to continually um, pursue the invitation that God has towards growing to be more loving, Christ-like people. So, with that, doubt is really the doorway to love. So, we have to doubt some of the previous stages in order to move past that. So, you have to doubt the assumptions of stage one to get into stage two. You have to doubt some of stage two to get into stage three. And it, sometimes you're not trying to, right? It just happens. Um, a lot of people don't ask to be, um, you know, go into to stage three, which can be very, very uncomfortable. It just happens. And, um, but we do need to doubt the things that are unhealthy and unhelpful in order to hold on to what is good and pursue that which is loving and beautiful. Um, so, so there's a lot of different ways. I, I liked how he talked about each stage's reactions to the four stages, and I'll go through this briefly, but uh, stage one, if, uh, if someone is in stage one, they might listen to this and hear about harmony and, and you know, revolutionary love and all that. And stage one uh, readers or listeners might be like, hey, there's only two stages, right? Right and wrong. And that's all there is. Uh, you move to stage two and they're like, okay, well, how can I get to stage four as efficiently and quickly as possible? That's probably the mindset of a two. Stage three is a lot more suspicious. So they're like, well, aren't you just imposing a human construct uh, with all these different stages to you know, get some advantage over people or superiority and, and uh, um, asserting over other people? And then stage four would probably have the response of, well, can't we just drop all this talk of stages and simply love people? <laughs> so everyone has their, their backgrounds, their perspectives, and you can bounce around, honestly, with different areas, like I said. For me, I felt like um, after really diving into the topic of, of hell and looking at early church history and um, tradition and perspectives from other um, 
other views, Eastern Orthodox and so forth, early church, and how we've misread and misinterpreted so many of the, the scriptures that um, refer to hell. As I deconstructed an unhealthy view of hell, um, I, I came to a place that I was so much more at peace and I didn't feel like I had to convert everybody uh, and have an agenda. I could simply love people wherever they were and that was a huge weight off my shoulders. Um, but at the same time, I was probably a lot more stage one, uh, dualistic, uh, when it came to the whole LGBTQ community uh, and that topic. Like, I honestly was very ignorant and um, just listened to what I'd been told uh, by evangelical communities, and I didn't dive into it for myself. And thankfully, I did. Uh, my Holy Spirit, in my opinion, is always inviting us towards love, towards healing, restoration, um, towards living in a Christ-like way. So I dove into that topic head first and had my own kind of perplexity season where I was like, well, I don't know what to believe and, um, and came to find out that there's so much misuse of the Bible and of scripture that honestly is not clear and in the, you know, some people say, well, it clearly condemns, and no, not at all. <laughs> There's uh, so much misreading that has been, um, been done and used to justify horrible things against that community, and it's such a beautiful community. I absolutely love uh, my LGBTQ friends, and, um, and, and thankfully, I have grown, and I would like to say I'm stage four now, and, and, um, and at peace with where I am, that just being able to love people without any agenda, just accepting fully exactly the way they are. And to me, that's beautiful. That is Christ-like, um, loving without conditions or agenda. Uh, but I'm sure there are other topics that Holy Spirit will continue to put on my, on my brain and on my heart to move into more growth in other areas. So all of it is a lifelong journey, so. When we look at um, society and uh, whether it's media, news, YouTube, anything, the loudest voices often are um, what we call the gatekeepers of uh, their religion, their group, and they're often stage one and two, very black, white, black and white, in, out, and have to keep everything pure. Um, and so anything that threatens that needs to be cut off, needs to be excommunicated, needs to be labeled as uh, heresy or um, dangerous. And that is the mindset of a stage one. And often they're the loudest voices that we hear. So people see the damage being done with a lot of um, religious communities and churches um, just cutting off and excommunicating anyone who dares ask any questions and they're like, I want nothing to do with that. That seems unhealthy. <laughs> it seems kind of toxic and controlling. And they just leave church altogether. And the numbers are definitely growing of people who mark none on religious affiliation on some of those surveys. But a lot of people are just leaving something that is unhealthy and they haven't found something like the well, like this community, where it's safe. It's okay to express your faith and your doubts. It's okay to um, to have, uh, to use your brain and think analytically and intelligently and look at, uh, history, archaeology, science, everything else, and, 
um, and not be afraid. Uh, all truth is God's truth, so why, why be afraid of asking questions? So I appreciate communities like this where it is safe, but the, the issue isn't religion. Leaving religion isn't going to solve necessarily, um, and if, if someone needs to get out of a dangerous or unhealthy community, that's something, that's something different. But what Brian McLaren talks about is religion itself isn't the problem because if people leave religion, there are, it's almost like a vacuum where people will get sucked into other isms, whether it is different ideologies or racial identities or wealth or weaponry or patriotism, conspiracy theories, uh, any number of different items. And if they're in that stage one, stage two mindset, they're going to find something to um, be passionate about something to pursue and um, and we need to provide a, a, a healthy spirituality a healthy community that people can find and can uh, can see uh, a more beautiful way of being Christian so so Brian talks about how um, obviously there's a lot going on in the world and a lot of hate, unfortunately, that we need to stand up and, and say what's right. But Brian recounts a story of going to Charlottesville in 2017 to stand in peaceful opposition to all the hate-filled neo-Nazi white supremacies uh, gathering. And, you know, it was called Unite the Right. And uh, he and some other clergy and other people came to just be a, um, be a voice that, I love how he said it, we care and we won't let hateful ideologies go unchallenged here. Uh, we felt it was important to be a visible sign um, of spiritual resistance to the demonstrators. And as a sign of solidarity with the people, the rally was meant to intimidate. Uh, so he, you know, he saw uh, horrible hate uh, and people with, with uh, you know, Nazi and Confederate flags and people intimidating and, and the Unite the Right rally culminated in uh, someone driving through a crowd and killing one person and injuring many, many others. And it's awful. Um, the person that was killed was 32-year-old Heather Heyer. And Brian was there to help uh, help, you know, the victims and hold them and care for them until the, uh, the paramedics arrived and such a horrible act of violence. But, um, and with that time, kind of on that topic, uh, a PBS frontline documentary talked about how that time, um, following that event that was so hate-filled, uh, Trump at the time, regardless of whether you're right, left, anything, uh, whatever your affiliation is, um, Trump said that there were fine people on both sides. And uh, the PBS documentary said, it's the beginning of a time in America where people realize that America is not just a place where racist ideals can exist, but a place where racist ideals can be fueled by the White House. And then former Republican Senator Bob Corker said, as we've seen over the course of the four years of service of Trump, the strength among those organizations, their place in what's happening in the country has continued to increase. And then of course, when Trump is asked why so many neo-Nazis, white supremacists and QAnon conspiracy theorists uh, passionately follow him, he doesn't respond. In the fall of 2020, he told the white supremacy group, the Proud Boys, to stand by. 
And a few months later, on January 6th, the Proud Boys heard Trump's call to go to the Capitol and fight like hell. Um, and they were one of the many hate groups that tried to violently overthrow democracy on January 6th day. And so, look, I know it's a, a heavy topic, but this is not an issue of, of right versus left, Democrats and Republicans. This is a matter of following Christ and standing up for love and standing against hateful ideologies that dehumanize another person made in the image of God. And if we're Christ followers, we can't stand for hate, oppression, and fear. I know I'm a, a straight uh, white man, and so I'm not the target of violence and hate. But like Brian, I need to stand up for the victim and the oppressed. I need to stand up for love in the same way that Christ did and use my privilege to help make this world a better place. And for my kids and for their kids and for um, for all kids around uh, uh, the U.S. and, and the planet, um, we want to make this world a better place. So if you're a Republican, you're welcome here. You are loved. <laughs> if you're a Democrat and you're here, uh, you are welcome. You are loved. We have to get past these fear-based tribalisms and us-them mentalities that prevail so much in stage one fundamentalism. Honestly, a lot of people that join hate groups, they, they say they do it to find meaning, belonging, and purpose. And honestly, that, those things are what a healthy spiritual community should be offering. There's another great quote that uh, Brian has. Let me read it. It says, We need forward-leaning faith communities to nourish these values and narratives in the context of a new kind of faith, a faith after doubt, a faith characterized by humility rather than arrogance, solidarity with the other rather than exclusion and antagonism, courage rather than fear, collaboration rather than competition, and love rather than self-interest. And obviously the stakes are higher than ever, ever um, as politicians and media, they just put fuel on the fire of that us-them mentality and they always like to demonize and dehumanize the other. And um, as individuals and as a community, we can do our part to not fuel that fire, to take a step back. We can disagree without dehumanizing. We can stand up for justice and love and follow Christ in promoting the well-being of all people. So Brian McLaren says that, um, kind of a, a good quote, but only doubt can save the world. And what he means by that is doubting all the things that are, are not good, not healthy, that have gotten us to where we are today. Some of those tribalistic or stage one, stage two mentalities, we need to get past that and learn to see more, more holistically, more integrated, more... Um, more from that lens of revolutionary love and the well-being of all people. So only doubt can save the world. Uh, another author that I really enjoy is Brian Zond, and he puts it another way. He says, beauty will save the world. And so we need communities like the well who allow people to question, to doubt, and to authentically grow, um, to welcome people wherever they are on their spiritual journey, and yet nudge us towards following Christ into stage four harmony of love, grace, and acceptance. So faith before doubt is about correct beliefs. 
but faith after doubt is about revolutionary love. So a, a parable that I'm sure you've all heard is the, um, the Good Samaritan. So in Luke 10:25 uh, and following, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, and in it, it's very clear that loving your neighbor means loving the outsider, the unclean, the outcast, uh, the vulnerable, the stranger. And in Matthew 25, Jesus makes it clear that loving, when we love the least of these, it's like we're loving God in disguise. And so, um, so stage four aims to love in a way that goes beyond just family and friends and your current group, your current tribe. It's a love that extends to the outsider, the stranger, the refugee, the outcast, the critic, and even the enemy, and loves without conditions or agenda. Uh, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians uses a little more mystical language, but he says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And he says in Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians there, that the love of Christ compels us. So there's a real sense that um, Paul feels so full of this divine love, God's overwhelming love for all humanity and Paul simply lets himself be a conduit, uh, so to speak, and, and lets it overflow to those around him, um, even to those who persecuted him. And to me, that is stage four um, faith, stage four harmony. So many places, many communities require correct beliefs before you're accepted. And uh, many churches are obsessed with correct beliefs, which is a very stage one mentality that you have to have everything perfectly right it's like it's almost like there's going to be some sat test at the the pearly gates after you die and if you don't get all the multiple choice correct then too bad you know that's uh you're, you're not getting in but the focus of of jesus was never about having perfect beliefs yes beliefs matter but um but it's about love it's about how are you living in a way that is um, transformative. So Brian has a list of uh, um, bad theology translations is how I will refer to it. And I'll put it on the screen here. There's a common bad theology translation next to a normal translation. So the first one is Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And this is the incorrect translation that kind of pokes fun at uh, at common bad theology. So it says, you shall hold correct beliefs about the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it. You shall convert your neighbors who do not hold correct beliefs. And if they won't convert, you shall defeat them in a culture war. And of course, we know the real thing is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your reason. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One other is, uh, that I'll do is 1 John 4, 7 and following. It says, this is the incorrect uh, translation. It says, beloved, let us hold to correct beliefs because correctness is from God. Everyone who believes the required statements is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not confess the right beliefs does not know God, for God is correctness. Obviously, that is not right. Um, the uh that verse says beloved ones let us love one another because love is from god 
And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love has not known God because God is love. So the question isn't necessarily, are you Christian? Um, but are you a believer who puts your distinct beliefs first in a dogmatic way? Or are you a person of faith who puts love first? Are you a believer who puts, um, whose beliefs puts you in competition and conflict with others um, and fuels hate, fuels violence? Or are, is it, are you the type of person whose faith moves you towards the other with love, with inclusion, with grace, with compassion? So what would stage four harmony look like? To close, let me just share a picture here. Um, I love this picture. And perhaps stage four love looks like this. Some people in Poland leaving extra strollers at the border of Ukraine for refugees traveling with kids. Or like uh, the people at the airports holding signs with how many people they can house of, uh, of people fleeing and, and need a home, need a place to stay. It looks like love without conditions to people even outside your tribe and without needing anything in return. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for meeting us exactly where we are on our journey. Thank you that we can be accepted with grace in the present while hearing and responding to your invitation to learn to love as you love. We know there's so much darkness, hurt, pain, and dehumanization in the world. May we hear your call to stand up for what is right and refuse to dehumanize anyone made in your image. May we learn to not just have temporary states of stage four harmony, but learn to live with your revolutionary love for all of humanity. May we be the type of people who go through the doorway of doubt to a place of love. May we come into faith after doubt, and may we doubt the certitude of dogmatic beliefs for a more beautiful faith that expresses itself in Christ-like revolutionary love.